We got that. That was just kind of a wake-up call because I knew, just like myself, you lost an hour of sleep, and just like myself, uh, you're not happy about it uh, today, but uh, we want to welcome you today to the service, and those of you that are watching online, uh, we just ask, will you fill out that little connect card uh, there on the screen, and uh, just send us a little message letting us know that you're here with us, but... uh, as we continue our study in the book of Mark, and I uh, just want to uh, let you know that today's topic is a heavy one, and, but it is one that we need to talk about because God's Word talks about it, Jesus talked about it, and so we're going to preach about it, all right? So uh, just kind of bear with us. And uh, we're going to get through this uh, today. In 2003, fans of J.R. Tolkien's books, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, they were excited. Because in 2003 was when the movie, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, was to come out. Now... If you go and you were to Google about the Lord of the Rings, the return of the king, it would tell you this, that it's an epic fantasy adventure movie that was the final movie of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The Lord of the Rings, the return of the king, the final installation of the trilogy is a final confrontation between forces of good and evil fighting for the control of the future of Middle-earth. And I will tell you, I remember this time, uh, although it was long ago, 2003. I know some of you are like, I don't know that I was really born then. But uh, uh, just kind of give an old guy a little, little room, all right? So I remember the news showing different things about people lining up. They couldn't wait to see this final movie of Tolkien's books put on the screen. I mean, tickets were sold out in advance for opening night and opening weekend. You could, If you didn't get a ticket beforehand, you weren't going to walk up to the Hollywood 20 or the movie theater over in Simpsonville and say, hey, I would like a ticket to the Return of the King because they would say, sorry, we're sold out. Say, well, can I get one for the next show? We're sold out. Can I get one for tomorrow? Can I get one for Sunday? Sorry, we're sold out. I mean, that's how popular this movie was. Fans of the book were excited to see how they transferred that from book to the movie screen. People flocked. They sold out of showings all the week. And today, as we continue our study in the book of Mark, we come upon this chapter 13. And I do think that it's kind of... Uh, ironic, I think it's kind of mysterious, sneaky, whatever you want to call it, that our pastor was going to be away in Africa when this chapter rolled around to be preached about. And so I was sharing with others earlier as we got ready to pray. uh, Back in September, Jack sent me a text and he said, Hey, we're going to be in Malawi, Africa. Can you preach on the... uh, 14th or 13th, I don't even know what day it is. See, I mean, the, the 14th. See, that hour that I just that I lost, 
is already coming into play. And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. Just send me the, send me the chapter. Let me know where we're going to be at in Mark. And he said, okay. He, said, he sent me a text back and he said, he said we're going to be in Mark 13. And I said, okay, no problem. And I didn't think anything about it, just to be honest with you. Uh, I knew that we were going to be in Mark. But, so I said, well, you know, I've got time. So about two weeks later, I opened up the Word of God and I went to see, okay, what, what is this chapter about? And as I started reading, I was like, mm-hmm. And so I sent him a text, and he, he can tell you, uh, I can show you on my phone. I said, are you sure you didn't set me up? And uh, because, uh, because, honestly, as a pastor, this is not a chapter, this is not a topic that we just kind of say, oh, we're going to preach on this every single Sunday. Uh, because... We're talking about the end times. We're talking about the second coming of Christ today. Uh, and it is not something that we take lightly, but uh, because as one of your pastors here, uh, I'm going to give an account uh, to God one day about what I, what I preached and how I preached it. And um, I don't want him to say, why didn't you? Why did you skip over that? Uh, I wouldn't be doing you any favors because uh, the easy thing would be to just skip over chapter 13 and go on into chapter 14 and just move on. But like I said, we're going to continue. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 13. I'm going to kind of give you an overview of the first uh, several verses of the chapter. And then we're going to dig into uh, the main passage today. But as we continue in the book of Mark, like I said, uh, it's in this chapter that we see the original story of the return of the king. But the difference between the two, between Tolkien's books, between the movie in 2003 and the verses that we're going to read today is that was fantasy adventure. This is real life. This is going to actually happen. Uh, It may happen before I finish preaching. And if so, uh, come Lord Jesus, right? Um, So, but it's going to actually reveal the true event that's going to happen one day. So Mark chapter 13 kind of begins, just to kind of give you a background and text, we're going to to hunker down at the end of the chapter, but uh, the first couple of verses uh, begins by Jesus foretelling uh, the disciples about the destruction of the temple in the first couple of verses. And then verses 3 through 13 uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked Jesus, hey, you know, when are these things going to happen? Uh, can you give us a sign? And Jesus uh, shares these words. He says something like this. He says in verse 5, he says, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Now, I remember when Lacey was pregnant with with Olivia, our first daughter. And I remember um, it was actually the the Sunday morning that I was going to be baptized. Uh, And... uh, a lot of you, I can share that story with you later on. But I remember Lacey waking up that morning, and uh, she was having contractions. And she was like, 
whew, uh, I think we may need to go to the hospital. And I'm like, well, we've got three or four more weeks. And she's like, well, that's what the doctors kind of projected, but I'm telling you, I've, my contractions are um, pretty painful, and we need to go to the hospital. So about 5 o'clock in the morning, we head to the hospital. We get checked in, and uh, she's still having contractions. And um, make a long story short, the doctor comes in, checks her out, and uh, they say, you know, they release us about... 9 o'clock that morning, and like I said, uh, I was supposed to be baptized that day, and uh, I had my former youth pastor uh, coming from Greensboro, North Carolina. I had friends coming from North Carolina that I grew up with uh, to come and celebrate with us. We were going to go lunch, and I'm thinking, I'm going to miss being baptized. (laughs) Now, some of you are out here, and some of you are watching on the screen, and you're thinking, you know, why are you being baptized and all when you're already on staff? Well, like I said, another story for another day or after the service, I'll, let, I'll tell you how God worked there and just uh, how God, my, part of my story. But um, those were just, he said, the doctor told her, said, you're okay. These are just birth pains. They're contractions. But uh, you're not, and ladies, you'll understand. Guys, you're probably like, uh no, you're, you're only dilated so, so many centimeters, whatever uh, they say. And I'm like, okay, I don't understand, but you say it needs a bit 10. She's at 3. Okay, we got time. You know, let's go to church. So, uh, so we headed to church from, from the hospital. And uh, make a long story short, we had baptism. Uh, I got to see my former youth pastor and uh, good friends uh, that were here from out of town. And it was, it was a glorious day, a wonderful day. But, uh, so, but Jesus is telling them, you know, when you see these things, when these natural disasters start to happen um, more and more frequently, these are signs, but it's just the beginning of birth pains. And he goes on and he says, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must be first proclaimed... To all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over death, father his child, children will rise up against parents. Because um, they didn't read in the Old Testament where it says, Honor your father and mother, so your days will be long on the earth. Um, sorry. Um, just a parent moment, and, and have them put to death. And you, will, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures forever will be saved. So there is uh, verses 3 through 13 in just a very quick moment. Uh, verses 14 through 23 talks about, um, brings in the Antichrist and the desecration of the temple. And uh, he continues to say that uh, you need to be on your guard. And in verse 19, he says this, For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been in the beginning of the creation that God created until now. and never will be. A little bit further down of verse 20. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. 
For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on your guard. I've told you things beforehand. And one thing I want, before I move on, I want you to understand is this, is that, that Satan has a counterfeit for everything that God has that's real. He will make things look great. That's why we, we have this, this term. That's why he's referred to as the Antichrist. Um, because, because God himself has the real thing. God himself, Jesus, is the real Messiah. But Satan, in order to lead people astray, will counterfeit the good things that God has created in order to lead people astray and, and to keep them from trusting Jesus. In verses 24 of the book of Mark, chapter 13, it says, But in those days after tribulation, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be fallen from heaven, and the powers in heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out the angels to gather his elect from four winds from the ends of the earth and to the heavens of the earth. And then he goes on and he talks about this lesson uh, from the fig tree, um, which may not mean much to us, but to the ones... The audience in which Jesus was talking to, they knew exactly what he meant. That's why Jesus talked in parables, because a lot of the things that Jesus he shared in parables, we may not understand here in 2021, but in Jesus' days to his audience, he spoke to them in ways that they would understand him clearly, and they would know exactly what he's talking about. We think about the parable of the seeds. He talked a lot about agriculture a lot of times, and to a farmer, it makes complete sense. To me, I'm like, okay, I get it, but I don't get it like my grandfather would have gotten it, because I'm not a farmer. But here he comes, and this is where we're going to kind of hunker down today in verses 32 through 37. We read these words. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. In other words, be on guard, be alert. Why? Because the Bible tells us, Peter, that Satan is like a roaring lion just roaming around seeking to which, who he can devour. There's three things that I want to really hone in on to kind of unpack for us in this passage today. And it's this. The first thing in verse 32 is what we see. That we don't know when the end will come. Only God the Father does. 
We don't know when the end will come, but we know that it's going to come. Why? Because Jesus told us that it was going to come. God's Word tells us it's going to come. But it says only the Father. Listen to this in verse 32. Concerning that day, talking about the second coming of Christ, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The second coming of Christ, understand this, that the second coming of Christ is a promise. It's not a possibility. It's not that He might come. It's not that, well, He could come. It's, it's He is going to come. And when He comes, as the preachers before me have said, When Jesus comes back the second time, He's not coming to take sides. He's coming to take charge. Because He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's contrast Jesus' first coming to His second coming. In Jesus' first coming, He rode in on a donkey. and On His second coming, He will ride a white horse. His first coming, He came as the suffering servant. In the second coming, He's coming as King and Lord. In His first coming, He came in humility and meekness. In His second coming of Christ, He will come in majesty and power. In His first coming, He came to suffer the wrath of God for sinners. But in His second coming, He will come to establish the kingdom of God for His saints. When Jesus came the first time, He was rejected as the Messiah. But in His second coming, when He comes again, He will be recognized by all as Lord. The Bible says that there will be a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It doesn't say that we... And here's the thing. We don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. It says that when Jesus comes back, there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Not some, not most, but all. All means all there in the Greek. Just want to throw that out, okay? Uh, In his first coming, he came to seek and save the lost. But in his second coming, he will come to judge and rule as king. In his first coming, Jesus came as God incognito. But in his second coming, he will come as God in all his splendor. And when he comes, as verse 26 says, and I'll read it again. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and great glory. Now you can write these verses down. I'm going I'm to skip to a couple of verses here and there, but uh, you can write these verses down and go back later. But in Revelation chapter 19, John the Revelator in his vision sees this. In chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, it says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. In his righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword 
with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule with them, rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Like I said, when he, come, when he came the first time, and all, he came as a suffering servant, but the second time when he comes, he's going to come as king and lord. And whether we acknowledge it now or we acknowledge it later, it all does not determine how he's going to come and when he's going to come. And we don't know when that time is coming. Only God the Father knows. But this is one thing that we do know, that he is coming again one day. The second thing that we see here in the passage in Mark chapter 13 is that we must stay alert and be ready for when that time will come. We should be aware that it can happen at any time. I'm not trying to scare you or anything, but it could happen before I finish this sermon. And some of you are saying, Amen. All right? Um, and I'll come, Lord Jesus, come, come quickly. But, but honestly, it can happen at any time. Here is the thing about it. Because he can come at any time that he chooses, we must faithfully live our lives knowing that Jesus could return any time. We must faithfully live our life on mission knowing that he can come at any time and that all those who have rejected Christ and the message of grace that God has given them will spend eternity away from God. They will spend a godless eternity away from the one who created them, the one that loved them, the one who wanted to know them personally. And wanted them to know him personally. The third thing we see in verse 34 is that we should be fulfilling our task when the Lord returns. God shouldn't find us, the Lord should not find us just kind of lackadaisically going through life, just like ho-hum, like everything's okay, that, that the world's never going to end. We need to be faithfully fulfilling our task. We need to faithfully be fulfilling the great commission of Christ when He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded he says, lo, I'm with you always. Just, I'm going to make it very simple and I'm going to make it very easy. And I'm going to take a lot of the pressure off of you. For those of you that may not realize this, it is not your job, nor is it in your power to save anyone It is not in your power, it is not your job to save anyone. It is not your task. That is not a task that was, was set for you or it was set for me. That is something that only God Himself can do through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
Now you can take a deep breath. Because growing up in the church, there were so many times young in, when I was young in my faith that I thought if I, don't, if I go and share the gospel with someone and I don't say the exact right words that, and they don't respond to, to Jesus and they don't give their lives to Jesus, then I have failed and, and I did not do something right. God is sovereign. And God can take our stumbles and our bumbles through our faithfulness of sharing the gospel. And He can transform somebody's life and He can make them new. Why? Because He is God. When I, as a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus came to that realization that I couldn't save anyone with my words. If I can persuade you to, to receive Christ, then it's not genuine. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life that saves someone. Real quick, if you'll... This isn't in the notes, but... So this is free, okay? If you'll turn into the, the book of Acts, one of my favorite books of the Bible. Acts 1, 8, it says, But when you receive power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Ju all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then in chapter 2, we see the coming, the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples of the apostles at Pentecost, and we see Peter preaching this powerful sermon. And this is what we read. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and those who were added that day were about 3,000 souls. Early on in my ministry, I thought if, if I shared the gospel and I gave a gospel presentation and no one responded physically and publicly, that I wasn't preaching the same gospel that Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. But here's what God taught me. He said, I want you to share the gospel. I want you to share the love of Christ. I want you to share your testimony about what God has done in your life and how He changed your life. And you let me do the rest. So when, we, when, I, when I share this with our students, when we're talking about uh, evangelism and sharing our testimony and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others, with our students, I tell them this. Just be faithful let God use you as a vessel, as an instrument to share the good news of Jesus and trust Him with the results. Because when I came, I know when I came to that, that point in my life where I realized that if I was faithful to share the good news, that God would be faithful to change people's lives. My task is to be faithful in sharing and so therefore I could go to 
a homeless person on the street. I can go to a waitress at the Waffle House. Amen. I can go to Tropical Grill and, and share with the manager there. And if I will be faithful, God will be faithful. And here's the thing. Even if they don't respond in faith in Jesus Christ, then I've planted a seed. And God's plan for that person may be that I share the gospel. God's plan for you is that you may share the gospel with, with a co-worker, with a family member, with a loved one, with a, with a classmate. And they don't respond to the gospel by saying yes. They don't put their yes on the table with Jesus. But let me tell you, you are not a failure. Because you were faithful. And God's plan may have been that you just planted the seed. And later on, you're going to share the gospel with that same person. And they're not going to respond again. Why? Because that seed needed water to be poured on it to grow. And it may take ten times for you to share the same message with that person. But on that tenth time, you share the same message the same way. And they respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're like, what happened? God happened. Sometimes we sow the seeds, sometimes we water it, and sometimes we get to see it harvested. But regardless, we just need to be faithful in fulfilling the task. You see, God has given us tasks to be good stewards of until Jesus returns. And that we should take every opportunity that we have to tell others about the good news of Jesus. And how much He loves them. How much He desires to have a personal relationship with them. Pastor Jack talks a lot of times. You'll hear this word about being intentional. Of doing this. Being intentional in how we live our life. Being intentional how we share, when we share the gospel. Being intentional about loving people who the world says are unlovable. But yet we read through the scriptures and we see the unlovable and the outcast of society was who Jesus went after. Why? Because no one else was willing to. The spiritual leaders of their time were not willing to to go and dine with them. We're not willing to go and in, invite them to hear the good news, to hear that God loved them. But just as we should take the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel, we should also take the opportunity to warn them about the results of their decision if they choose to reject God's grace in Jesus. We should warn them out of love that their eternal destination depends on how they, what they decide to do with Jesus. You see, it's a personal response. God is not going to force Himself on anyone. But He makes Himself available to all. So why do we teach about the second coming of Christ? Because Jesus talked about it. Why do we teach about heaven? Because Jesus talked about it. And the Bible teaches it. Why do we teach about hell? Because Jesus talked about it. He talked, it was so important to Jesus that he talked more about hell than he did heaven in the scriptures. 
We need to tell other people about the gospel. The Prince of Preachers, C.H. Spurgeon. If you've never read anything from him, I would encourage you to. Spurgeon says this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees. Let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. I'm going to read that one more time so it'll sink in. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees. Let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. Not only should we be fulfilling the task of sharing the good news of the gospel, but we need to fulfill the task of letting them know that if they reject Jesus and Jesus comes back, they will spend eternity in a place that was never created for them. And it will not be like it's portrayed on South Park or any other show on TV. There's not going to be a party They're not going to be laughing and cutting up and just enjoying a great time like they did here on earth. It is a place that the Bible says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don Whitney says this about about hell. And before I tell you this, I'm not telling you this to scare you. I'm not telling you this to try to get you to make a decision. I'm telling you this because this is real and this is what God's Word teaches. Ten things about hell. Number one, hell is real. It's a real place. It's not a fantasy place. It's not an adventure thing that we see in the movies. It's a real place that was created for Satan and his fallen angels. Why would, why would you want to go? Why would someone want to go somewhere that was not ever created for them? But it is a real place. Number two, hell is separation from God. Three, hell is for all accursed ones. Fourth, and as a believer of Christ, in Jesus Christ, um, this should motivate us beyond all imagination. And all with urgency to share the good news of the gospel. Number four, hell is eternal. There is no coming out once you're there. Number five, hell is fire. Number six, hell is a prepared place. Number seven, hell is eternity with the devil and his fallen angels. Number eight, hell is inevitable if you've never come to Christ. Number nine, As I just said, hell is inescapable once you're there. Number 10, and here's the good news. Here's the good news about hell. Hell is avoidable if you'll repent and believe in Jesus Christ. So if you're watching today, you don't have to go to hell. If you'll repent and turn from your sins, And believes in Jesus Christ. Like I said, this is a chapter. This is not something that I want to preach on. This is not something that I chose to preach on today. This is something as we're going through the Word of God. And all we need to preach the whole counsel of God. 
And I don't tell you this. I don't share this news about hell proudly. I don't share it boldly. I share the reality of hell with much fear and much trembling. Because I don't want to see anyone have to experience that place. And if you're a believer in Christ and Jesus has changed your life, you shouldn't want anyone there as well. Even your worst enemy. So what are the takeaways from the message today? Just a couple of things, and then we'll close. Number one is this. It's very simple. Jesus is coming back again. For real. He's coming back again. One day, the Father is going to look to the Son, and He's going to say, Son, it's time. Go get my children. And Jesus is going to come back on clouds. He's going to come back with power and glory. And he's going to redeem the ones who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Satan will try to tell people that, hey, you are not a believer in Jesus Christ because of what you're doing. Because of what you did last night, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. And Jesus steps up. He says, Father, this one's with me. Because it's not about works, it's about grace. And grace is something that you don't deserve, that I don't deserve, but God gave it to us freely And all when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, if you'll receive Jesus into your heart, I will extend grace to you. I will give you something that you don't deserve, but because I love you, it's yours. You see, when Christ comes back, this is what we know about the second coming of Christ. We know that it is personal. We know that it is historical. We know it's visible. It's physical. It's victorious. And it is cosmic in its benefits. When the book of Mark talks about, you say, cosmic, what do you mean? It says, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. It will be personal. Just in Acts chapter 1, just as the disciples saw him ascend to heaven, he will come back the same way. It's not going to be just this image of Christ. It's not going to be this uh, silhouette of Christ. It is going to be Christ in all His glory and all His power. Jesus is coming back for real. Here's a second takeaway and application. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have come to that point where you have turned from your sin, you repented of your sin one day, and you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, You don't have to fear or be afraid. My friend Clayton King says, we need to be excited. When we talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ as a believer in Christ, we need to be excited, we need to shout, and we need to sing. Why? Because we are going to be in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And there's going to be a worship service that none of us have ever been a part of. Especially in the Baptist world. Your hands are going to go up and you're like this. And your hands are going to go up and you're like this. No, and no. That's what I'm talking about. And all the Pentecostals, friends of ours, said, yes, finally. But if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear the second coming of Christ. We can anticipate it with excitement, with joyfulness. Knowing that our troubles and our trials and our tribulations in this world are a thing of the past. Amen? The third thing is this. That we need to live our lives for Jesus in such a way that others want to know Him personally as their Lord and Savior. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says these words, Let your light so shine before all men that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Not, not pat you on the back, not say, hey, great job. Not praise you, but praise God. Our lives should be lived in such a way as that. And here's the last takeaway. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't need to fear today. You can walk out of here excited about what's to come because it's so much better than what we're experiencing today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've never made a profession of faith, if you've never trusted Jesus with your life, you walk through those doors. Not knowing the hope that's found in Jesus. You walk through those doors carrying a lot of baggage. You walk through those doors with a lot of heavy stuff on your heart. And you walk through those doors, and if God were to take you out right now, if, if you were to drop dead right now, you would spend a godless eternity away from God. That's the way you walked in here. Here's the good news. Just because you walked in here with all that baggage, just because you walked in here not knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, doesn't mean that you have to walk out those doors, or walk out those doors, or those doors, or wherever you're going to walk out of today the same way. Why? Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have, every, have eternal life. Simply, it's this. All you have to do is repent. It's a word that means turn away of your sins and ask Jesus to come and save you today. Romans says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only difference between the non-believer and the believer today is that there was a time when the believer recognized their sin and their need for Jesus, and recognized their need for a Savior, and they repented of their sins, and they prayed and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into their heart, and He did. Why? Because Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If anyone opens, he'll come in. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
Romans 10, 13 says this. And I'm going to give you a little Greek lesson real quick. When it says all in verse 13, it means all in the English. When it says, for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, it means all. It means when the Apostle Paul, who was persecuting the church and throwing them in prison, before his encounter with Jesus Christ, before his encounter with the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who stood as they murdered and stoned Stephen, when the Apostle Paul met Jesus Christ and it changed his life with that encounter, it meant the Apostle Paul was saved. Just like it means when that sweet 70-year-old woman who's grown up going to church or that 13-year-old girl who's grown up going to church and knows everything about the Scripture. Not everything, but a lot. Who's grown up knowing that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life and that no man comes to the Father but by me. It means when they come and they verbalize that Jesus is Lord and they ask God to forgive them of their sins and repent of those, that they will be saved. See, Jesus doesn't say, hey, you've got to live this life right here and all, or I'm not even coming close to you. If you read the Bible that I read, the one that God wrote, the one that God put on the hearts of so many authors, over three continents and thousands of years. Jesus went to them because no one else would. May it not be said of us. Here's the good news. God loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And it doesn't matter what you've done in your life if you will confess your sins before God and repent of those and turn away from that and start living a life of obedience to God. It doesn't matter what you've done. You could have had an abortion as a young teenager. You could have murdered somebody in your, in your young life. But that's the beauty of grace. Because you could have grown up in the church all your life and never made that decision. But today you want to make that decision? God says, welcome home. And here's why this is important, because we just sang about it earlier. For the King is coming. The King is coming. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can celebrate. You can walk out of here with your head held high, no matter what things you struggle with. Because the King is coming for you one day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for this message. We thank you for your word because it is your word and it's not ours. And Father, I thank you that you move, that you work in a mighty way. God, I pray that right now as we have this time of response and invitation, that if there's someone here that walked in these doors 
whether they've grown up in the church or this is their first time in the church, and they don't know you, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit has, con- has been working on their heart. Just like those people in the book of Acts when Peter preached the sermon. I pray that they would confess and repent and turn to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed our services. If you're in the area, if you're visiting, uh, drop in and visit with us. Also, uh, visit our podcast. Check out more information on our website. You're going to find out a lot of great things. Enjoy your week this week. Hey, Crossroads family. My name is Seth Buckley from First Baptist Church Spartanburg, and I'm looking forward to being with you and your church family this coming Sunday night at 6 o'clock as I talk about the subject, discipleship in the home. Um, I know for a lot of folks that could look different, but what I'm going to be talking about is just some practical ways how uh, being in our home, raising four boys, how we incorporated um, Bible study and just honest conversations and how that was a blessing to us and then how I've used that to encourage other families in our church and our community. So I'm looking forward to being with you and hopefully some that we'll experience some things together Sunday night that'll be an encouragement for you, but also for me. So look forward to seeing you this coming Sunday night.